Welcome to the Vertical Podcast. I'm Jack Cesare. Alright, lots of events going on. ChatGPT4 is out, and the barriers that AI is pushing continues to astonish me. As I've noted on this podcast, I have been in the moderately alarmist category when it comes to viewing AI. When the original ChatGPT came out, I viewed it more or less as a sexy Google, um, basically uh, just reciting internet articles to you uh, at will. I wasn't really impressed. Um, It was obviously an impressive design, but as far as my worries about AI and AGI, um, it didn't really faze me. I just thought it was more uh, cute than anything. Um, didn't pay much attention to ChatGPT2. ChatGPT3 came out and my prongs perked up a little. I was more aware. I played around with it. I was pretty impressed with its ability to self-correct and adjust itself. And ChatGPT4 is out and I'm blown away. I have viewed some of the conversations it is pulled off with individuals, and many of the requests it has been given. I've seen it write essays in a particular tone that someone may request. I've seen it create websites um, with very vague instructions, but yet it happens to meet nearly the exact requirements that the requester had. As many people may know, my concerns with AI have always been uh, pretty contingent with the economy. I worry about the jobs of the middle class and also the upper class. It's quite spooky, to say the least. So the uh, elementary example is, think of the truck drivers. Think of how many truckers there are in America. Now, are these individuals highly educated? No. Are they geniuses that are easily trained on another job, such as computer programming or biology? or archaeology? Not really. Now this isn't to insult truckers, but this is just common knowledge and uh, surveys done on this demographic. How easy will it be to get all of these truckers, and I just checked we have 3.5 million, how easy will it be to get 3.5 million truckers into other jobs that help support their family? These truckers have made it very far supporting their families, on their jobs. I mean, being a trucker pays pretty well. Are we willing to compensate them when self-driving cars and perfect mapping and perfect reactions of uh, these self-driving vehicles takes precedence over them? What companies want to keep paying health insurance, salaries, and PTO to just sacks of meat driving trucks? When you can just have an AI with much better driving skills, no need for life insurance, and can work 24-7. Truckers need to stop at pit stops at night. They may take a wrong turn. An AI won't. When I watch a lot of ChatGPT4, it I've seen a lot of educational videos. What I mean by that is ChatGPT uh, taking the role of a teacher or a professor. And I see those jobs at risk. Now, that is what I want to do when I'm older, so it's kind of uneasy for me. But watching the fluidity of their paragraph constructions on various subjects, such as evolution, history, politics, biology, and chemistry, I'm blown away at how well and simple it puts these complex ideas, right? How many teachers are going to keep their jobs? Well, I have no idea. Now, I have positioned this idea before. I wrote this in a mock thesis. I'll say it here. One of the bigger reasons I worry about AI is the structure of capitalism within America. Now, I am a capitalist. I believe that that is the most efficient economy we have constructed yet. I do not believe we do it well. I believe we actually do a pitiful job a capitalism, and I'm certain there's a better model out there somewhere. We just have to discover it. 
With that knowledge, I'd like to bring the idea of Walmart to the forefront. Walmart currently has 2.3 million employees. Now, let's just pretend these employees will give it a median of $20 an hour. That means every hour that Walmart is operational, on average it'll lose, or it's spending, $46 million on its employees' salaries. Now, of course, CEOs, managers get paid much more than this. There's people with PTO, there's people um, stealing. So this is uh, very vague numbers here. But $46 million an hour, and a typical person works a 40-hour work week, but let's just pretend it's a 30-hour work week to account for um, missing factors here. Comes to 1.38 with nine zeros every week. That's how much money. I don't really know the exact uh, name of this number, but it's a big number. And that's Walmart alone every week saving that much money. What is that, $1.38 trillion every week? Where does that money go? Now, the idea is with AI coming into uh, our progressive societies, the idea is that cost of living will go down. You don't have to pay farmers that much because farmers aren't having to feed their family because the farmer is now an AI. You don't have to pay stockers to stock your shelves. You don't have to pay the drivers. You really don't have to pay anything other than human repair people, which will inevitably be replaced by more AI. What happens with all this money? The idea is cost of living gets significantly lower. Will that happen? Based on the current model of capitalism, in America that I see from my position, I don't see that money trickling down. We often view trickle-down economics as a meme at this point. What makes us think it'll still trickle down when AI comes about? Now there's plenty of people offering more insightful perspectives. Sam Harris just did an episode on his podcast with Paul Bloom, and he kind of touches on the idea of deep fakes, uh, conspiracy theorists, and... Um, just a sea of misinformation, which is a really interesting point. You can already predict the far-right conspiracy theorists are going to milk this dry. On top of it, the amount of bad faith actors who will abuse AI and its abilities to construct personalities in the names of other people, construct images and videos that are completely synthetic, is insane. And its abuse is not just a prediction, but a promise. Now, I didn't start this podcast to discuss AI, but it's a extremely relevant topic, especially with ChatGPT4 being just the beginning of our abilities with AI. It would suffice to say that as we head into this new territory, we remain cautious and weary, but also unrelenting. Progress in the realm of AI and its social utility is so clearly a benefit. However, its dangers may just outweigh those benefits, and it is up to us to go about it in a way that ensures its safety. And with that said, on to the topic for today. Today I'm not doing a book review, I'm not reading an essay, I'm just going to reflect on some thoughts that I have leaving the Charlie Kirk event at TCU. Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. Now, I already spoke about this event uh, quite a bit on the recent episode, Jesus and John Wayne, uh, because the two ideas really married quite nicely together in a good time frame as well. I think it was the Charlie Kirk event that actually motivated me to cover that book because it was one of the, I'm not going to say the first time I've been seeing the thesis of the book take uh, life on the internet and on social media, but this was one of the first times I've seen the thesis take life in a personal setting, in a in-person event. And it was just two days ago that Charlie Kirk took the video of me asking him a question, or rather challenging some of his ideas, 
and he posted that video chopped and edited onto his Instagram. Now, I know he personally didn't do this. Um, no doubt it was his team, but his team is a trusted extension of him. He would not have his team work for him if his team was not reflecting his ideas. So it's a chopped and edited video of what I truly was trying to do. Now, the full video, um, to his grace, is available online. If you just Google uh, Charlie Kirk uh, TCU and click on the um, first YouTube link, it will take you to a two-hour video that was the full event, and you can hear the full extent of my conversation. However, I think we all know not many people are willing to do that. And I also understand that videos should be chopped to remove useless or pauses or breaks or stuttering or, you know, what have you to make a video more gripping and uh, easy to consume for our narrow-minded Instagram conditioned brains. I get that. However, what Charlie Kirk's team, I'm just going to call it Charlie Kirk. His team is an extension of him. What Charlie Kirk removed from this video was very important to understanding uh, my overall point. Now, I may have mentioned this in the most recent episode, but asking him a question was such an Olympic sport because of the pivots and the quick transitions to new topics. I was just not able to stay on topic, and that is my weakness, and that is my fault. I should have been able to reroute him back to the original proposition. However, I didn't do that, and I took the bait on many of the subject changes, and I found myself in a black hole. Now, I went through some pains on trying to extract the audio from that video and put it on here. I was very unsuccessful, so I did a very crude technique of recording the audio um, onto a file via my phone into this mic. The good news is, is the mic I use is pretty good quality. However, the audio is not, um, not a treat to the ears. However, I thought I would play it here so everyone can understand the full context. And then I'll break down the discussion, if you even want to call it that, that I had with Charlie Kirk. So again, I apologize for the audio, the limitations of downloading and malware and legality <laughs> kind of stopped me here. So forgive me. And this is the audio. I feel I spend a lot of my time in more left-leaning circles. I don't personally think I'm left-leaning, but I guess people say I do. Um, but when I look on your Instagram and on your social media and other people that would align uh, pretty parallel with you, I feel I'm not seeing a big reconciliation with a lot of the division in the country because I'm a big American fan, but I would definitely like to see us get back to where two parties or multiple parties could be more unified and less divisive. And I'll admit there's a lot of divisive ideology on the left. I'm not going to deny that. But when I look at a lot of the rhetoric with a lot more far right leaning people, I don't see a lot of sustainable reconciliation. I just don't see us getting back to a place where there's, I just don't see the work being done on y'all's end by okay, y'all. I mean, well, like, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. How many left-wing events do you know that would allow disagreements and encourage them to go to the front of the line and tell the audience not to boo? Um, Probably not a lot, right? I'm, I'm actually a really big fan of Sam Harris, and at his events, he always invites people up and yeah, encourages them. Yeah, I mean, them Sam Harris is not really a political figure, but he's no, okay, not, yeah, not political figures. That's fine. I mean, the point is they, they don't do that. Let's just be very clear. That's number one. Number two, I think you're onto something, though, about reconciliation. I don't seek to reconcile with people who think men can give birth. Yeah, I don't, I don't or, see that or as... I'll give another example. I don't seek to reconcile with people that believe in black-only dormitories. Yeah. I, 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 I want to win, and I want them to lose, because that's an evil idea. Yeah, I, I understand, and I guess, like, I agree-ish. Yeah, but I just... 
I just would be curious to see how the rhetoric you send forth. Like, I, I get the feeling when I look at your Instagram and people similar, I'm seeing a lot of like derogatory statements and I guess a lot of things that are meant to get a reaction. And I think you know that. Well, I, I mean, I could put you on the spot. Can sure. you give me an example? I mean, I feel like when I saw the whole blackface woman face thing yeah, on your, and I, that's not derogatory. It's true. A man who calls himself trans is wearing woman face. No different than I would wear blackface trying to be a black person. I understand. And it's, it's assuming an identity that isn't yours. And I'm not an affirming person of the gender thing, sure. but I also don't see that post. I just wonder like what minds you think you're changing uh, communicating the way you well, do. Well, two things. The fact you remember it means I did my job, and you didn't keep scrolling. I mean, we remember a lot of bad but things. You're, that a you're in a competition say. for eyeballs. Number two, it's a plainly spoken thing that is true, that resonates on a deep fundamental level, that we fire people left and right for blackface controversies, yet we allow people with woman-face controversies to win Woman of the Year and NCAA championships. Why? I guess on that specific on that specific example. I think it's the intention behind it. Um, I'm not really literate in a whole lot of STEM but things. But you don't know my intention. Well, um, no, I'm talking about the intention of the individual, so oh. the person doing blackface or whiteface. Well, hold face. on. So why, why does the intention matter? Well, I guess because if you look at someone who's transgender or someone who's, again, I'm not liter literate in a whole lot of STEM things, but I also know there's a lot of uh, psychological things going on there not completely i mean okay i'm no, actually okay, evidently, I'm not, STEM, I'm not no but i mean so let me just get in let me just kind of zero in on this one the intention is completely irrelevant it's the action that we must judge correct well in, in so if somebody are... robs a bank because they're poor they should still go to jail regardless if they're poor or rich if somebody appropriates a womanhood identity they could say well i just wanted to be happy or i just want i just wanted to win the ncaa championship because I just, I wasn't able to compete against men. We should call them a cheater. So their intent, she said, he said, not she. He said on ESPN this weekend, I just wanted to be happy. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of happy cheaters out there. That's why we have standards. I feel like you're giving a lot more malicious intent to these individuals. But it's irrelevant. They're doing something evil. It doesn't matter if they think they're doing good. The Nazis thought they were doing good. Every evil force in the history of the world thinks they're doing good. It's, are they doing good? Stalin thought he was God on earth. The question is, are they, not do they think they are? Can I get like 30 more seconds? I'm sorry. Sure. So I've actually been, I mean, this isn't a brag or a flex or anything. I've been spending a lot of time on trying to look at um, accountability and free will and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm religious. I actually, am, again, not a brag, but I'm getting my master's at seminary. I got my undergrad in theology. Okay. I think free will is essential to religion. I agree with you. But I'm also, when I look at a lot of the relevant neuroscience, I'm beginning to actually struggle with free will. And I'm someone that thinks it's essential. And I'm also struggling with it. Okay, let me help but, you. Let me help you but, with that then. Because it well, can be. I was, I was just going to say, I think when it comes to crime, retributive justice in our criminal justice system is uh, dangerous okay. if you. Give me an example. I feel if you, intention is a lot more important than you're saying it is. I don't. Just because you're poor and you commit a crime, it's insulting other poor people that don't commit crimes saying that poverty is an excuse to crime. I think intention, what I mean by intention is how much control someone had over their decision. I think there's a lot of Total. social... Pardon? You're a free being. You have total agency over your decisions. I think a lot of the relevant science is starting to disagree with that yeah, idea. Yeah, so on the quantum level, that's not true. And by the way, the world can be deduced more than a series of cause and effect. You know why? We have this miraculous thing called reason. It's called logos in John 1. You probably studied it in theology class. Logos means you could change and pivot immediately. It means you are not set and bound to the previous atoms that came before you. Reason means you could do deductibility. You can have rationality. Go ahead and stop it there. Uh, Charlie continues to misdefine what Logos is. However, um, when you're in front of that many people, hitting every single detail, this guy is saying, um, every missed point, it's just not practical, just not possible. But I want to begin breaking down a lot of what was said. So, to begin... I brought up the idea of reconciliation, and 
he decided that he didn't want to reconcile with those on the opposite end of him. Now, to this I kind of understand, sort of, not entirely, definitely not for the same reasons he is trying to uh, give here. I understand not wanting to reconcile with an idea that you believe is fundamentally damaging or harmful to the society at large. So, from his perspective, um, you know, this would be hormone blockers in young individuals, this would be opposite genders competing in uh, various sports, uh, which puts other individuals at a disadvantage. I can understand. Now, please note, when I say I understand, this doesn't mean I agree. It doesn't mean I entirely disagree. And this brings me to a weird, precarious valley that I don't like to get into often. It's that um, many of these individuals, such as Charlie Kirk, sometimes say things I agree with. And that's always the worst feeling. It's as if you were an artist in the early 1930s, before Hitler really started making his name known, and you realized you kind of like his artwork. It's not a good feeling when you see who he becomes. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of clear and uh, ethical and morally salient non-nut jobs out there discussing the gender um, debate or that of black-only dormitories. You, uh, it's hard to find clear voices out there these days. However, um, I work hard to make it explicitly clear that uh, all the ideas that I believe are healthy and good for society and all the topics that I believe are worth debating I can usually typically find someone of a clear track record and a better way of talking and uh, without just a abundance of terrible ideas to promote those philosophies. Anyways, Charlie has really set himself up here uh, in a atmosphere that is kind of weird for me to navigate. He doesn't want to reconcile with the status quo and even though to a certain degree and I cannot emphasize this enough, to a particular degree, and not the degree that Charlie's at, I also don't want to reconcile or uh, be um, necessarily in agreement with a lot of the ideas being promoted on the left, especially in the um, area of gender. However, how you disagree, and how we criticize bad ideas, and uh, for those that listen to this show, I have always promoted the idea of criticizing bad ideas rigorously. Bad ideas need to be criticized, and if we don't, if we decide to agree to disagree, we're not only pulling a cop-out, but we're being intellectually lazy and oftentimes harmful. How we go about that disagreement is what's important, and I believe Charlie is failing at that disagreement. I also want to point out to criticize bad ideas, and we all have some bad ideas, but to criticize bad ideas, especially on the level Charlie's trying to accomplish that, you have to make sure you're not harboring an abundance of bad ideas. Like I said, we all have some, but if your general audience loves Alex Jones and doesn't think he has done anything wrong and believes that the election was rigged, and Trump is secretly our president, and there's secret nanobots in the vaccine, well, it's hard to lean into your criticisms of other bad ideas. If I want to find someone to criticize the uh, gender war, I can find someone much more intellectual with a much cleaner track record in the philosophy realm. Now, even though I just said all that, that is all still thrown out the window when I try to bring up that Charlie is not being critical. He's just being derogatory. And any perusing on this man's, on this boy's Instagram, is a, a show and tell of that claim. I mean, if you find that post that I brought up about blackface and womanface, it is clearly out to just get a reaction. But not a reaction from anyone willing to have their mind changed. 
anyone who sees that is going to be animated to such a degree that they are more hostile towards transgenders or they're going to leave hating Charlie and amassing a intellectual, I can't call it intellectual, but a ideological force against him. No one sees that and is provoked how he says it is. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe this is changing many minds. But when I think back to uh, my skeptical days, when I was navigating the political landscape, anytime I saw a post like that, I steered clear. My point being that if you're going to criticize bad ideas, the most effective way to criticize bad ideas is to be in the business of changing minds. That is, and I discussed this in the introduction to this show, episode one, this idea of changing minds and being willing to have your own mind changed, being not just content, but joyful to admit that you're wrong and seeing the door that is opened up to the idea of being correct on a subject. I mean, it is a, it is like ecstasy, uh, if I'm being honest, learning something new, being able to correct an old habit. You shouldn't want to continue in, I'm going to make up a word here, incorrectivity. You shouldn't want to continue in that. And if you have someone that is um, delegating an idea to you, that is contrary to what you currently believe, and it can change your mind, you should be excited for that. Challenge it. And if you think you're uh, correct, defend your stance. But when you are at your wit's end and they have torn down all of your defenses, you must be willing to change your mind. If you don't, it's not a matter of truth at that point. It's a matter of pride. And then Charlie says something that I believe is rather elementary of him. He says, it got my attention. That's not going to change anyone's mind. Attention, and he cuts me off as I'm saying this. What I was trying to say when he cut me off was, uh, I remember and I give attention to a lot of terrible ideas that do not come near changing my mind. Um, everyone can think of evil individuals, infamous people, to name the obvious Hitler, uh, Stalin, um, and then obviously fantasy people, nonfiction characters. The, the point is, we remember them by how terrible they are. And uh, simply getting attention isn't changing minds. However, he thought um, that that was uh, sufficient. He talks about um, firing people for blackface controversies. Um, and that word controversies really stuck with me. Um, I, I don't believe it's a controversy. I mean, the picture says it all. Uh, whoever you are, um, if you are defending uh, that act or um, have done it recently, you deserve to be criticized. It's a bad idea. Now, this brings up the question that is not asked often in society today, and that is, what apology is sufficient? Right. When you do something wrong in society, when are you uncancelled? Should people be able to be uncancelled? Um, well, I'm not a fan of the cancel mob anyways, but I do believe there are sufficient apologies. I think an excellent example of this is uh, my favorite comedian, Louis C.K., and his apology. Louis had a clearly um, genuine apology. And, um, I, you know, he even jokes about it often, but uh, the man clearly had problems um, with uh, lustful intentions. And he addressed them head on, didn't deny them. And he should be able to re-enter society. And I'm grateful he did. And I'm grateful he's back to doing shows and making specials. Um, and so regarding blackface, I hate to say it, but I understand Charlie's annoyance here. If you did blackface 60 years ago, uh, how should you uh, re-enter society? Should you be able to? I believe so. Um, especially if you're genuinely apologetic about it. Um, now, in the 
um, conservative area. <laughs> I believe the uh, genuine apologies for blackface uh, will be sparse. Um, my point being, um, that is irrelevant. Charlie is comparing blackface to being transgender. And I bring up intention at this point, which she says is irrelevant. This is critical. If you are um, going through transgender surgery, and uh, I don't condone it, not in big support, but you are not having malicious intent. You're also not harming anyone, at least not in a particular sense. However, if you're doing blackface, I think there is clear malicious uh, racist intent there. The intention behind those two things, one is being pretty self-serving, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but rather uh, people that are being transgender believe they're looking after their um, self-help, or health, I mean. And um, they're doing it because they believe, whether this is right or wrong, they believe that they are trapped in the body of a different gender. And if you're doing blackface, that is so obviously malicious. And so the intention is quite different here. And I try to get into this later with Charlie uh, regarding uh, retributive justice. He says intention is completely irrelevant, yet I promise you, he judges intention often. If I bump into you in the hallway on accident versus if I shove you in the hallway, your reaction, though it's the same force, will be quite different, hopefully. And on a grander scale, we use intention in our courts of law. Consider the difference between murder and manslaughter, and consider how a murder case gets more time if it's premeditated. Throughout our daily lives, and on a societal level, and a judicial level, intention is a determining factor for hundreds of things. Now, afterwards, Charlie goes on about how intention is irrelevant because what they're doing is evil. And in typical Charlie Kirk fashion, he compares anything he's against to uh, Nazism or um, the Soviet Union. Uh, it appears, I mean, he really has encountered those two forces in history the worst forces in the world, and everything gets predicated on their comparison to them. I mean, you can find many countries that have uh, rather strict gun laws. Now, I'm pro-gun, but there's a million caveats to it. Um, certainly not pro-gun in the way most right-wing Americans are. By pro-gun, I mean I should have access to something. There's a much longer conversation there. That aside, you can find many countries that have rather strict laws. Now, would he ever say, you know who took away the guns? Australia. You know who took away the guns? The UK. No, no, no. It's, you know who took away the guns? Adolf Hitler. Stalin. There's no middle ground. You're either a free, uh, eagle-flying country with guns on every corner, or you're Hitler's Germany. I mean, choose your poison. But I wanted to approach him in uh, maintaining my position on intention by discussing with him the idea of free will and retributive justice. Now, I believe my views on criminal justice and the justice system in general can be pretty divisive or controversial. Um, in brief, some overlooks. I'm... Uh, just clearly against the idea of privatized prisons. Um, any system that makes money off of the crime, I mean, is, is directly funding it, is uh, clearly problematic. Um, if you get paid by the amount of people in your prison, you will look to put people in your prison. Um, I mean, take the idea of uh, health care. If you're making money, off of sickness and illness and injury. It's less incentives to do hard work to fix that. Long story short, I'm, I'm against privatized prisons. 
I'm against the death penalty. I believe the death penalty, which Charlie Kirk is unironically very pro-death penalty, I believe the death penalty contradicts Christian doctrine at a fundamental level. Now, maybe the reason I'm so bothered by this discussion is I believe intention should play a much higher role in our criminal justice system. And a lot of people hesitate at this because there's so many ways it can be done wrong, and I concede to that, and I understand the hesitation. But take a accidental car crash where someone may be driving at night and they um, hit and kill someone, uh, a kid playing in the streets. Let's say, uh, for some reason, uh, he finds himself in, um, in a criminal court uh, for any charge on that. I believe if it was purely an accident, I mean, this person is living with the reality that they just killed someone. I mean, probably a kid. I mean, they are haunted by the road. If this person has any decency, they are going to be tormented. I wouldn't be surprised if it took them months to get back behind the wheel again. The person had no intention of killing that individual. Should this person serve a manslaughter charge in jail? Should this person be in prison for years away from their family, out of society, and co uh, costing taxpayer dollars? I don't think so. Isn't the punishment the fact that this man has to live, or this woman has to live with the fact that they took a life? Now, like I said, there's many ways this view can um, find someone in a suboptimal position, or a society in a suboptimal position. But I try to approach it from a philosophical lens. If we had a way to ensure that someone regretted their action, if we had a way to ensure that if we release someone back into the public, they would not commit said crime again, should we release them? Again, this is um, ensuring you are assured this will not happen again or um, they have no intention of committing it. If the whole point of the criminal justice system should be to rehabilitate, if the person is in a state that we would hope they're in after rehabilitation, before they serve a sentence, I just see this as a way to reduce prison population and also keep the streets safe. Now, of course, are we in a place in society where we have the ability to determine it that accurately, uh, that being their intention? No. But if we do get there, I believe it would be immoral to not utilize that tool. Now, again, uh, this thesis is not fully mapped out. It is not perfected. It has many gaps and flaws, and I plan on fortifying it. Until then, it is just a work in progress. Uh, other people are um, philosophers, psychologists, are certainly doing much more work on it. This is not my original idea, of course. However, I'm trying to get Charlie Kirk to see that perspective. However, he does not budge. And I bring up the idea of free will. Now, again, I've said it many times on this podcast, I believe in free will. I champion the idea of free will, but defending it is more and more difficult every day. However, as I say to Charlie, I believe it's essential for religious belief. Now, I try to give Charlie the view that I have uh, from the summit that I am at on how difficult and hazy free will is. And Charlie proves to be 100% ignorant on the topic. I'm just going to brush over his misdefining of Logos. Again, there's a lot of people, a lot of pressure. I'm not thinking at the uh, fastest rate that I am proud of, and I don't correct it. And I look like an idiot, to be honest, not um, defending the idea of what Logos is. I mean, the software that I use to do most of my biblical research is Logos Bible software. 
Suffice it to say, Logos has nothing to do with free will. Logos has nothing to do with pivot. Logos has nothing to do with the topic at all. It simply, plainly, means the word. But I was particularly offended with one of Charlie's points, and that is his idea that I have free will because I showed up. Now, the reason this is offensive to me is because I imagine all of the scholars and academics, philosophers, psychologists, and neuroscientists debating the idea of free will. And all of the papers and books and work that has been done to combat the idea of free will, to think that those um, high academic ranking individuals have not confronted the idea of, yeah, but look, I decided to do something, so I must have free will, argument over. Look, I want to raise my right arm, I'm raising my right arm. I want to blink twice. Look, I'm blinking twice. I clearly have free will. To think that that idea has not already been covered by the academics and scholars and the, the people in the field, to think that hasn't been covered is just sheer ignorance. Now, I know Charlie hates institutions and particularly academic institutions. I understand that. And I know he thinks it's just a, a field of gender studies majors uh, showing how ignorant he is. But to think that that's not been covered is one of the most ignorant positions he can take on the subject. So I did not have the time or opportunity, again, uh, on the mic in front of crowds of people. You're not really able to hash out long debates. But I tried my best. I failed, learned my weaknesses. I don't know how reachable an individual like Charlie is. Again, everyone in the crowd sporting Alex Jones's shirts, uh, MAGA gear, and uh, anti-vax merchandise. I don't know how reachable that crowd is. It's certainly not uh, as easy as a open-minded person is. And I've said before, I struggle a lot with Charlie, not because of his uh, comments that much. It's more of the amount of people in my inner circle who are raving fans of this man. I mean, when I go and I click mutual followers, a large list pulls up. That is disturbing to me. On a fundamental level regarding politics, society, um, laws, and morality, and especially theology, I believe Charlie is dead wrong. Yet to know I have almost 70 near and dear ones that look to him as an ally and a champion of Christ for America, I'm disturbed. And I walk a thin line of biting my tongue and maintaining relationships. Of course, no one wants to have friendships ruined by ideologies. But what if you view these ideologies as completely antithetical to the public good? What do you do? What do you say? And what do you say to a person that is logical, who doesn't subscribe to the rules of logic? How do you reason with an unreasonable person? These are fundamental discussion uh, philosophies that I brought up in the first episode of this podcast. I simply don't know. Now, again, no doubt I have my own flaws. No doubt I have my own ideological pitfalls. I'm not saying my morality is completely aligned. I mean, I'm even willing to concede that maybe Charlie's right about something I'm wrong about. Of course, I can admit it's possible. I need it proven to me, though. As I bring this episode to a close, I intended for this episode to be about 20 minutes, coming up on 45 minutes here. As I bring it to a close, I want to bring a book to everyone's attention. My favorite hip-hop artist, KB, or Kevin Burgess, has actually just released a book called Dangerous Jesus, and in it he walks a much better line than I do on balancing a healthy orthodox faith and patriotism, resisting ideologies like those of um, the MAGA right, but also not being a sellout to the illiberal left. I really recommend this book. I really 
hope to cover it on the podcast soon. Um, those of you that know me know KB is a huge inspiration of my life. A lot of his words and sermons and music has become core philosophies to my worldview. So I am biased, but I do recommend the book. And also as I leave, I want to come clean. I've been very convicted with hatred, malice, disgust, and elitism towards Kirk and many of his followers. And when I read scripture, meditate, and pray, I am confronted with the reality that that is an unbiblical posture to have towards people made in God's image. I've always pondered that if Hitler was alive today and secured in prison (laughs) or wherever, would I be able to look at him and tell him that I love him in a way that God tells me I should love him? I mean, just saying it, I'm certain some listeners just raised an eyebrow saying that I love Hitler, but does Jesus love Hitler? Does God? Shouldn't we reflect that? Are we not called to that? Does God give an exception to loving your enemies? Did Jesus die for the sins of Hitler? I mean, I think so. That's what it says, does it not? It's a precarious and strange, alien and foreign thing to think about, of the worst sinners, the bottom of humanity, the most disgusting tar pits of human morality. I'm definitely not putting Charlie into that crowd, but if Jesus would be able to look at Hitler and say, I love you, if Jesus would look at Hitler and say, even those sins are forgiven, of course, that's not saying Hitler is in heaven, very different things, but shouldn't I be able to look at someone like Charlie and say, I love you? Should I not be able to love and serve and be sacrificial towards those individuals? This is a theological thorn in my side, and though I'm convicted, I think I know the right answer, and I think anyone who subscribes to Christianity knows the right answer as well. This is why I cannot bring myself to support the death penalty. Money and politics aside, should we be taking life that is unarmed and surrendered, like that of a prisoner? I don't think so. So, um, on this note, I think a quote and a prayer will suffice our exit. This is K.B. writing in his chapter titled, Dangerous Love. Brothers and sisters, there are zero exceptions to Christ's command to love your neighbor. No religious exceptions, no political exceptions, no sexuality exceptions, no ethnic exceptions. There isn't even an enemy exception. Enemy is a pretty strong word. Most people tend to think along the extreme lines, like terrorists, or they think along petty lines, like those we merely disagree with. But I think the more general application of what Jesus is talking about is anyone who stands intentional opposition to your well-being. No matter who our enemies are, or how they have hurt or offended us, we are commanded to love them, full stop. That does not mean to excuse them or exist as a punching bag for all their assaults, but it does mean that we should posture ourselves for reconciliation, pray for their well-being, and not refuse them help if the opportunity arises. This is a major focus, an epicenter of the Christianity of Christ. Lord, thank you for our days. Thank you for awaking us to days we do not deserve. Thank you for your craftsmanship of the human mind and of the world and of your scripture. Help us to acknowledge your existence better. Help us to forgive our enemies and forgive ourselves for wrongs we have done against you and your creation. Help us to pursue the truth that you define and you uphold. Lord, you uh, were killed for a lie. Help us to remove lies. And Lord, we await a time in the eschaton with you where reality in general 
but also the reality of your love, your care, and your infinite wisdom for us is on full display. Lord, please intervene in our misconduct. Please intervene in our hearts, in our minds, and our souls, wherever we may believe we are correct, but are in fact not. Lord, help us to worship you in our acts. Help us to see our deeds as accounting for nothing if they are not done for you. Lord, again, we thank you for all the privileges that we never acknowledge. We thank you for your work that we do not observe. Thank you for your mercies, your forgiveness, and Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Veridical. I hope to have some more book reviews on the way. I have a project and a half left in school, and I can begin to read a lot more exciting books. Again, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your patience with my wrongs and my bad philosophies. And have forgiveness on me as I correct wrong ideas in myself before I address them outside of me. I hope you guys are conducting the same rigor on yourselves and your ideologies. And we can work to really build a Garden of Eden here on Earth. Take care.